All right, jumping in this morning, enough is enough. You're thinking, what could we possibly be talking about? We are talking about self-control this morning, self-control. And now, you know, when I say that, we all probably start to, our minds go to things in our own life to say, oh, there's areas that we need self-control. I know me, the whole reason that, you know, I've been diving into this topic is because, yes, I'm with you in that. There are areas in my life that I need to work on in relation to self-control. I think we can all admit we have places to work on. 1 Peter 1.13 says, So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. We can all relate that we need self-control. And you know, some of us maybe can identify with this picture here that says, please do not talk to me. I have no self-control and will talk to you for two hours and get no work done. Anybody relate to that? In fact, this week as I was trying to prepare for this message, I actually had to go work from home so that I could not be distracted and uh, I wouldn't go, you know, down the hallway to see what everybody else is doing and talk, you know, because I understand that I have self-control issues in certain areas. So I can relate to this picture. We are going to be looking um, at the book of Genesis this morning. And now this is kind of coming out of a study that I have been doing over the last little while. A study that was um, recommended to me by a good friend of mine. Um, the guy that is teaching through it is a guy named Marty Solomon. And it has been absolutely incredible. Um, as I've been going through this, the Lord has been showing me and teaching me so much. So this message is kind of coming out of a result of this study that I've been doing just in my own life. So we're going to jump into Genesis chapter 1. And now, of course, Genesis chapter 1, very first chapter of the Bible. Of course, we're talking about the creation story, a story that I'm sure we're either very familiar with or at least familiar with to a certain degree. And now we're not going to read the entire thing. We'll talk through it a bit. But I am going to read the first two verses. It's the, the entire Bible starts off this way. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so from the very beginning, we learn that God is a creator. Of course, we know this. But we are highlighting this because we're going to come back to it in just a little bit. God is a creator. We learn that right off the bat. Now, as we go through this creation um, story, we, of course, know that God created everything in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And on each day, he creates different things. And now, um, just as kind of a quick summary of it all, day one, God creates light. He separates the light from the darkness, so he creates day and night. Day two... He creates a space between the waters below and the waters above, so he creates the sky. Day three, he separates the waters on the earth and creates land, vegetation on the land. Day four, he creates the sun and moon and stars. Day five, he creates the fish and the birds. And day six, he creates animals and humans. Now, there's a couple things that I want us to note from this, and I'm going to try not to mess it up because it's kind of playing with my head a little bit trying to keep it all straight, and I messed it up in the first service. But a few things that I want us to note from this is that in the first three days of creation, God separates. Okay, so he separates on day one the light from the darkness. Day two, he separates the waters below from the waters above, creates sky. Day three, he separates the waters on the earth and creates land. So he separates on the first three days. The next three days, day four, five, and six, he fills those spaces 
uh, that he separated. So on day four, he fills the, the day and night with the sun, moon, and stars. Uh, day five, he fills the uh, sky and the water with fish and birds. And on day six, he fills the land with animals and humans. So we could say that basically day one corresponds to day four, day two corresponds to day five, and day three corresponds to day six. You follow me so far? I'm confusing myself in my mind, so hopefully I'm not confusing you. Hopefully you're tracking with me here, okay? So we've got these first three days and the second three days, and they correspond to one another. So it kind of creates this parallelism, you could say. Now we're going to put that on the shelf just for one second. And as the story goes on, of course, we know that it finishes with the seventh day. Now we read this in chapter 2, verse 2, where it says, On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. And so in this story, and I got to say, um, sometimes we, we sort of casually miss a lot. We just, we're so used to this story, we miss the complexity and the brilliance behind this piece of literature. It is a fascinating piece of literature as you kind of dive deep into it. So, so we could say that where the story finishes with the seventh day, we, we can conclude that there's some significance to this. There's got to be some significance to this seventh day. And now to further illustrate this point, to go back to the parallelism that I talked about, um, this is something that's used in ancient writings. It's something called a chiasm. And so it was used, um, you know, all throughout ancient writings. And the whole point of it was it kind of created this parallelism where you have two sides that mirror one another, and it points to a centerpiece. And in that centerpiece, there's a truth to be discovered. There's something to be learned, something that God is trying to teach us and show us through that. So in this particular chiasm, and now these are actually, which I didn't even realize that this, but they're, they're all throughout Scripture if you know what to look for and you're looking for it. There's so much to learn in it. So in this particular chiasm, if you go all the way to the middle, and, and I'm not going to go through all the details of how this was discovered. You're just going to have to trust me on this one. But if we go to the middle of this chiasm, we get to verse 14 that says, Then God said, let lights appear in the sky to separate the day from the night. Let them be signs to mark the seasons, days, and years. Now, particularly the very center, the very center of this chiasm that we can determine that there's something here to be discovered is the word seasons. Now, this is our English word seasons, of course. Now, in the Hebrew, the word is moed. Moed is the Hebrew word that we find at the center of this chiasm. Now, this word moed means appointed time or sacred festivals. It's the word that's used for the Jewish festival. So, you know, we, we kind of have an idea of the Jewish festivals, right? Passover and so on. These are the moed. These are the sacred festivals. Now, in this creation story, what is the sacred festival that we see here? It's the Sabbath. The Sabbath. Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11 says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So the whole idea about the Sabbath that we see in the Ten Commandments comes back and has its origins in the creation story. 
So, hope you're following me so far. So we have at the centerpiece of this chiasm something that's referring to the Sabbath, the seventh day. So this is just further evidence that there is something significant to be discovered. It's pointing towards this seventh day. And now we know, um, we've heard the word Sabbath often. As you read the Bible, you hear about it all the time. It was very significant, and it still is, in my opinion, significant. Um, But we often think about it in the sense of it's when we're supposed to rest. It's because, you know, we can't always be working and we have to rest at times. And certainly that is absolutely part of it. But there's something much deeper, I believe, that we can discover through this creation story that they're trying to communicate to us, that God is trying to communicate to us. And here it is. As we zone in on this seventh day, what is it that we learn? Well, I mean, first of all, let's just acknowledge the fact that God is obviously not tired after the sixth day. So it says that he rests. Can we, can we acknowledge and agree that if God is who we know him to be, he didn't rest because he was exhausted or tired and had nothing left in him, right? We can acknowledge that. So what was it that was going on in this? Well, in six days, God created everything that was needed for humankind to flourish. He knew there was nothing else that he needed to create, and he stopped. He stopped. And it's not even that the creation was perfect, because when when we use that word to describe it, if we say perfect, it, it implies that it's stagnant. It means that it's always going to stay exactly as it was, and we know that that wasn't the intention. The intention was to grow, to progress, right? So there's things that he could have done at that point. I mean, he could have made everything at that moment exactly how it is today, right? With buildings and tools and technology and all these things, right? So there's other things that he could have created in that sense. But he didn't. He stopped. And so what's the significance behind this? I believe that this is a beautiful expression, the ultimate expression of self-control. Of God saying he knows when to say enough is enough. He models this to us. He models his very nature in this act of rest, that he is self-controlled. God is self-controlled. So the two things that we learn from this story is that one... God is a creator, and two, God is self-controlled. And we know that according to Genesis 1.26, that we are made in the image of God, and so his very nature has been stamped into us, his creation. We have been given the ability to create, we have been given the ability just to be creative, but in a way that is to be guarded by self-control. God gave us many giftings, many resources, many beautiful things in this world, but he says to us, just as I modeled my nature to you, you must learn how to operate with these gifts and resources in self-control. He says you need to learn how to harness your desires and ambitions if you want to live within the confines of my perfect will for your life. And see, this is what separates us from everything else within creation, separates us from animals. Animals act on instinct. They just do what they do. But humans have this God nature in us that we actually have the ability to be self-controlled. 
In the next couple of chapters of the book of Genesis, of course, we're introduced to the first humans, Adam and Eve. And now God places them in the Garden of Eden and he instructs them to keep it and to work it. And uh, he says, you know, I've given you everything you need here in the garden. Partake of, of the fruit of all these trees. You've got everything you need here. Enjoy it. Consume it. But he says, this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, do not partake of that. Right? And, and you can think like, God, what are you doing in this? Like, is this just some sick joke? Like, you, you said you've given us all this, all of this stuff for us to enjoy, but then you go and you plant this, this tree that says, no, but don't touch that. Right? Like, imagine a, a parent putting their kid in a room with all of these toys all around them and saying, here, play with all these toys. But then they place one shiny toy there and say, but don't touch that. Right? It's, it's kind of a weird thing. Like, God, what are you doing in this? Like, what's the purpose of this? Well, the whole purpose of this is, is God is saying, I've given you everything you need. Enjoy it. But you need to learn self-control. You need to learn that you have enough. And as the people of God, we need to learn that in his word, he has given us everything that we need. He has given us instruction. He has given us his resource to live out a life of blessing. But he says, you need to trust me. You need to trust that I know best. You need to trust that my ways are better than your ways. You need to walk in self-control. It's beautiful. You know, this is the tension that we live in, though, is it not? This tension of trying to tap into this nature that God has stamped on us to act in self-control, and yet we're enticed and we're pulled and we're tempted, and, and we go back and forth, and you know, we're constantly trying to bring self-control into every area of our life. We, we try to have self-control in our diets and in our relationships, in our speech and in our thought life, in everything. We're just, we're trying to manage it all. And all throughout human history, we see that we've fallen short of this all the way back to Adam and Eve. From that point forward, we've seen how we have fallen short. But here's the beautiful thing, is God doesn't relent. He doesn't say, okay, you messed up, you clearly can't do it, so just go ahead and do whatever you want. It's all good. He doesn't change his standard. But he also doesn't say, oh, well, forget you, you can't do it, so I'm just going to turn my back on you. What does he do? He says, my standard hasn't changed, but here's the reality. I'm with you. I know that you're going to mess up. I know that you can't do it in your own strength. I will be with you. And this is the whole message of the cross. This is the whole message of the cross. Right from the very start, God knowing that we are not going to be able to be perfect when it comes to our self-control and we are going to mess up and we are going to make, make mistakes, but God says, I have a plan. I have a plan of redemption. And we come to the cross and this is, this is God's love expressed to us in the most beautiful and powerful way, him saying that I know you can't rescue yourself. You cannot, you cannot do it on your own. You cannot do it by working harder strictly. You cannot do it by your own strength. But he says, I am going to send my son Jesus to you. 
I'm going to send him and he's going to model a perfect life. He is going to show you. And then he's going to lay his life down as the perfect sacrifice so that he is going to die in our place and he is going to take our sin and our failure and our mess-ups upon himself. This is the message of the cross. And even further than that, what does he say before he goes to the cross? He says, when I go, I am going to send you the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you the Comforter. And he actually says it's better that I go back to heaven because the Spirit of God is going to live within you. Like, what kind of God does that? A God who is abounding in love and mercy and grace that says, I know you're going to mess up. I know you did, but guess what? I'm not going to change my standards, so I'm going to place my Spirit in you so that you can actually walk in victory. So that you can walk in freedom, not because of your own merit, but because of my love for you. This is the God that we're talking about. Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16, it says this. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature wants. And then further in that chapter, we come along to the fruit of the Spirit. And of course, self-control. It's the last one mentioned. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, produced by the Spirit in us. And so practically speaking, how do we actually make progress in living a self-controlled life? Well, like most things that I believe in our lives that we want to grow in, it, it, it doesn't just happen by chance. There is intentionality behind it. We already know that we can live self-controlled lives because we've just learned that, one, God has stamped it into us as image bearers, and that also that the Spirit who produces this lives within us. So it's possible. That is good news this morning. It is possible. Maybe you're here this morning and there's areas of your lives that you're thinking, I'm never going to be able to get this under control. I'm never going to stop being so angry. I'm never going to stop gossiping. I'm never going to be able to stop stopping this or doing that. But this is the good news. It is possible. Jesus even modeled this to us in his own life. And it says in Hebrews 4 that though Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, he didn't sin. And so we have everything that we need. But the question is, will you have the intentionality to make the steps required for this fruit to be produced in your life? Now, first and foremost, I would say that I believe a vibrant devotional life is the key. There's at least a key to this. And by devotional life, I don't mean just you know, taking 15 minutes before work to read a devotional book and have a quick prayer, though that's great, and that can be a part of it. But what I mean is, is so much more beyond that. I mean living a life of prayer, living a life of fellowship with the Holy Spirit, a life of worship, of constantly being in communion with Him. Because being self-controlled, it doesn't happen outside of relationship with Christ. And walking in a relationship, growing in a relationship, doesn't happen outside of spending time 
of learning and growing and being with the Lord in prayer. And so, first and foremost, I believe that like, if there are areas in your life that you need to get under control, this is where you start. This is where you start by realizing and recognizing that intensive prayer is what's going to bring you into a place of walking in the Spirit, having authority over these things, and being able to actually see this fruit produced in your life. And now if you're like me, you're thinking, but there are just so many areas of my life where I need better self-control. I don't even know where to start. Here's my advice. Just start somewhere. Just tackle one thing. I think it's fitting that in 1 Peter he says, prepare your mind for action and exercise self-control. This insinuates effort on our part, intentionality, action, something that we have to train ourselves for. And of course we understand that it's not effort in our, just our own abilities, it's, it's the Spirit. And so we invite the Holy Spirit into this to say, Holy Spirit, breathe on my efforts in controlling my fleshly desires. And so we train ourselves to put into submission our cravings, and that through that we get stronger and stronger. And that's why I believe that fasting is such a big deal. That's why I believe fasting is such an important spiritual discipline that sometimes we may neglect to a certain degree, but, but the whole basis behind fasting is exactly this that we're talking about. It's that training process. It's that training ourselves in self-control. It's living in that place of discomfort, not to punish ourselves, but to train ourselves so that we can have victory in other places, in other parts of our life. But there's spiritual power in fasting, and I, I believe that it's because it's, it's that aligning ourselves, it's that process of tapping into God's nature of self-control. And so maybe this is a first place for you to start. If you're thinking, I don't know what area to tackle first. It just seems so overwhelming. Maybe you just say, Lord, I'm just going to begin to fast. I'm going to begin to fast and pray. I'm just going to bring this into a regular routine in my life to train myself of what it means to be self-controlled. And through that, that's going to train you and teach you and spill over into these other areas that you feel like you can never get the victory. There is definitely value for us to learn what it means to be uncomfortable, to live in discomfort. Now, you may be saying, I'm always uncomfortable. <laughs> I always live in discomfort. Well, I think there's always value in us actually being intentional to do this. You know, in, in, in our world, in our culture, we're always thinking, how can I make myself feel better? How can I make myself more comfortable? And of course, this isn't in any way, shape, or form saying that, again, we got to punish ourselves and bring pain upon herself. It's not that. It's just this training process in self-control of what it means to walk within the blessing in the will of God. There's a, there's a fitness guy, a motivational guy, and some of you have probably heard of him, named David Goggins. And now, I said this in the first service. I'm putting out a disclaimer. Don't go look him up and don't go follow him. Just to be clear, I don't follow him, but I know, what he, I know who he is. He's vulgar. He's not a believer. So don't go and watch one of his videos and be like, I can't believe Pastor Spencer said watch this guy. I'm not saying that. Okay? Just putting that out there, making it clear. Those that are watching online, you hear me? But sometimes I'll see his quotes pop up, and, and I, so I kind of know what it is that he's all about. And one thing that he says often is he says, do something every day that's hard. 
Do something every day that's hard. And I think that's actually some pretty good advice, to be honest. And uh, I told this story in the first service. I wasn't going to tell it, but, but I just think it's funny to, to kind of prove this point. But uh, this guy came up to David Goggins one time and was like, hey, will you come and live with me and my wife for a month and train me and like, make me do hard things? And uh, he said yes, which is kind of crazy. But so, so he goes and he moves in with this, with this couple. And so the first day he says to him, okay, so every day they're going to do something hard. So he takes him to the, the gym, and he says, okay, do as many pull-ups as you can. And so he does, and the guy does like eight pull-ups or something like that. And uh, he gets down, he's like, okay, what's next? He's like, okay, do it again. So he does it again, gets like five pull-ups or something like that, and gets down, okay, what's next? Do it again. So he does it again, and he gets one pull-up. So he's gassed at this point, like there's no, there's no more happening. So he gets down, he's like, okay, what are we doing for the rest of the day? And he's like, no, no, no. He's like, you're not leaving here until you do 100 pull-ups. And he's like, I can't even do one at this point. He said, too bad. You're staying here until you do 100 pull-ups. And within I don't know how many hours it took him to do it, but he stayed in the gym for however many hours, and he actually did it. And so I say that just to point towards, like, there are hard things that we think that we cannot do, but, and this is, you know, this is a guy not, not going off the power of the Spirit. We got the Spirit living in us, okay? So there are things in our lives that we think that we can't do, but God is saying, you just need to trust me. You need to realize that there's more inside of you than you think there is. There is more potential. We've already covered the fact that it is possible to live self-controlled lives. Don't buy into the lie that you're always going to be that way or you never get victory. Because God has shown us and given us everything that we need to walk in self-control. And you know, usually when, um, personally, when I think about self-control is I think about things that I shouldn't do, right? I think, you know, I want to do this, but I know that I shouldn't. So it's that tension. But it also kind of goes in the reverse as well. Sometimes it's, I know I should do that, but I don't want to. And so that's also self-control, of pushing ourselves into things that we know that we should. You know, and so, so this, is my, this is my encouragement. Just even start, just even start tomorrow by saying, I am going to do this one hard thing. I'm not, I'm going to be intentional, and I'm not going to gossip today. I'm going to be intentional, and I'm not going to look at that person lustfully today. I'm going to be intentional, and I'm going to do something that I know that I should that I really don't want to. Maybe it's doing the dishes. Maybe you hate doing the dishes. Do that. Your spouse will be happy or your roommate will be happy. And my wife is somewhere saying amen right about now. She's going to hold me to that. And so start with something. Start with something. I don't have a slide for this verse, but this was brought to my mind last night, and so I put it in because this is exactly what we're talking about. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This is exactly what we're talking about. And so Paul is just, he's driving home this point. He's using the analogy of physical things 
He's using the analogy of an athlete, but this is transferable into spiritual areas of our life. He's saying, train yourself. It's a process. It doesn't just snap your fingers and it happens. We need to be intentional. We need to make steps forward, and we need to invite the Spirit into the process as we go. See, God has made us to be creative. He has given us gifts. He has given us many things to enjoy. But in the midst of that, he makes it clear that what separates us from the rest of creation is that he has also given us the ability to be self-controlled. And if we want to walk in his will and his blessings, we must use it. You know, we see in our society, we see in our world all through the years that humankind just has this tendency to take a gift from God and then to abuse it. All throughout history, we've seen these creative abilities, these potentials within us that God has given us that we'll take them and we'll abuse them. Think about technology, beautiful gift of technology. How much have we abused that? Think about sex, the gift that that is. How much is it abused? On and on and on we go. But God says from the very start, the very start of the word of God, he says, though I have made you to succeed, to progress, I've given you everything that you need, it must be done in the confines of self-control. And he has given us his word. He has laid it out. He's saying that in relationship with me, as you allow the word of God to guide your steps, as you allow my ways to guide you, there is a beautiful life that is there in front of you. Not a perfect life, because we live in a sinful world, but a life that is full of blessing and abundance and good things. He's saying, I have given you the roadmap. Now control yourself as you walk it out, as you grow. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and join me. Why don't we all stand together? And now maybe through this message, there's been things that have been coming to your mind. You know, as I've been preparing this message, there's been lots of things coming to my mind. I know that I've got work to do. I've got training to do in self-control, but God is faithful and his spirit is with us. And so I just want to encourage you, like, don't allow this message to just be a Sunday thing, but my prayer is that you would go into the week and you would bring the intentionality of this. You would bring the focus of this, and, and you would just start, even if it's starting small, starting with one thing, because we know that at the end of it, we know the long-term gain, the beauty of what God has for us is so much greater than the short-term gratification that we can get from just living uncontrolled, unfiltered lives. But aren't you thankful this morning that we serve a God that in the midst of our lack of control, he still pursues us and he provides a way for us to actually live in a place of self-control. God is just so faithful. He's so good. Lord, I'm just grateful this morning. I'm grateful of your love, Lord, going back to how we started. It's because of your love 
because of your love for your creation, that you pursue us and you draw us in and you don't leave us to our own devices and our own efforts, but you meet us in it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would stir something fresh in each one of our hearts to say that we aren't going to live in a way that just accepts the way that we operate and act, but, Lord, that we would align our hearts with your word. God, and that we would pray every day, Holy Spirit, help. God, I'm thankful that you're already doing a work. You're already touching lives. And God, as we lift up your name, I pray that you would do something so supernatural in us, God. Lord, not just for a moment, but something that would leave us transformed and that we would continue to walk it out, Lord, grabbing a hold of all of the good things that you have in store for us. So we give you all praise, all glory, in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to get the sermon as soon as it's released. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com. For live streams and other videos, check out the GT Moncton YouTube channel and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's going on. God bless.